the Law with Kathy Rue. Kathy uses her years of experience and dedication to guide you through to the world of estate planning, probate, wills, and more. Now here's your host, Kathy Rue. Good afternoon, everyone. I am here in the studio with Kevin Ebling for my show, It's the Law with Kathy Rue. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kathy. Happy Monday. Yeah, it is. Be blessed this Monday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are going to talk a little bit today about landlord-tenant law, which is a huge, huge um, area of practice. There's so many different aspects to it. And so today I thought we would focus a little bit on evictions and maybe some repair issues, and we may even get to talk about security deposits. This is one that's close to home for me, which is good, literally, because (laughs) I've been a renter for a very long time. Have you really? I've lived in an apartment for six years. Oh, my goodness. Um. Maybe, maybe even seven, but yeah, I've lived on my own for a very long time, so I know all about this stuff, or I have tons of questions about it that I don't really know, but I mean, I've never had any problems, I've never been evicted or anything like that, but, yeah. you know, it's good to know the ins and outs. It is, it is, and I'm living in an apartment right now, I've been there for about two years, so I, you know, I've got some issues that I've had experience with um, being a, a renter, and, and then prior to that, you know, in law school, I lived in an apartment for the three years that I was in law school, so I've got some renter experience under my belt as well. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> and you have the legal expertise and knowledge that I don't as a renter. I do now. <laughs> I didn't too much back then, but I do now. You had to adapt to yes. it. But that's, yes. That's your, um, you know, that's what you do. That's your specialty. It, well, it is. It is what I do. In fact, I've got a couple of cases right now that involve landlord-tenant law and uh, evictions, and it's, they're very interesting, and they're on appeal as well. So um, I'm really enjoying working those cases, and uh Thought I'd bring a little bit of that knowledge to the radio station today and, and to my readers. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone who is tuning in. And I'm happy to be here, thankful, uh, truly blessed, and highly favored today on this Monday, November 21st. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week. It is. Yes. It seems like not that long ago we were talking about Halloween. We were. <laughs> we did a whole show on Halloween. We did a whole show almost. on Halloween. Yeah, and horror movies. That was yep. fun. <laughs> um, so today, uh, because this is the show before Thanksgiving, we want to give thanks, of course, and be appreciative and just let everybody know um, I'm very thankful for everything. Everyone who has supported my radio show, who's tuned in, who is listening, and who has called me or visited my office as a result of the radio show. I hope I'm giving you good information. I hope you're learning something from it and that it's a good service to the community. Absolutely. So, And uh, as the show continues to grow, I enjoy watching that happen. And, of course, we always get to listener questions as well. And if you're listening right now and you have a question for us, you can email us at It's the Law with Kathy Rue at gmail.com. That's it's the law with Kathy Rue at gmail.com. That's R-O-U-X. Also, you can find, visit your website at KathyRueLaw.com. Yes, or you can call me, uh, reach me at the office, 817-874-8877. Call me anytime. If I don't answer the phone, it's because I'm in court or a meeting. So leave a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, how many radio hosts offer that? Just say, call me off the air, and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to you. Um, I don't know how many. <laughs> you're the only one, but I think. Am I the only one who says that? <laughs> Pretty much, but and, that's good. Yeah, and, and so Kevin and I, in order to expand the show and build it um, and keep it interesting and lively for the viewers, we've talked about having in guests, having guests appear on the show. And so our next show, that's scheduled for December the 5th, I yes. believe. 
we may have a guest to come in and talk a little bit about end of year finances and things you can do uh, from a financial literacy standpoint. And yeah, just keep up with us on Facebook in the upcoming yeah. weeks for more information on that. And we'll yes. make a few posts to make sure people have all the information about our guest. Yeah, so stay tuned. We've got some exciting plans in store for our show. For It's the Law with Kathy Rue. It's always, uh, well, you know, <laughs> we, we try to keep it light, too, and we try to be relatable. Um, we talked about oh, how, uh, horror so movies boring. during Halloween. But now I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about Thanksgiving movies. You know, there's not that many when there you really think it. about it. No, uh, there's more Christmas movies. Way more Christmas movies. The only one I can think of Halloween movie off the t- or uh, Thanksgiving movie off the top of my head is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. With Steve Martin and John Candy, I love John that movie. John Candy, okay. Yep. I don't, I don't remember too much about that movie. I'm sorry. No, that's just... no problem. It's pretty good. <laughs> if you get a chance over the over the holiday, check it out. Well, I'm getting into the Christmas spirit already. Yeah, me too. So I was watching this weekend. I watched Love Actually, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies ever. And of course, it's about love, which is a great topic. That's a good movie. Uh, it's one of those where it follows a bunch of different stories, yes. and they all come together at the end. Yes, yeah. yes, and they're all somehow slightly connected. Related, all the characters yeah. are just. A a little bit connected so you see individual stories but then as the movie progresses you see how everyone's connected in some way shape or form to one of the other stories yeah i like so. those kind of movies it was it's one of my favorite movies i watch it all the not all the time but as often as i can every year and at least once a year oh yeah i have a list of favorites too i probably watch home alone and christmas vacation like home six alone times is awesome it's a wonderful life it's always great it's good yeah and it's kind of depressing course- for some of it but it bumps me out a little bit it has one of the happiest endings Exactly. Well, you know, it's supposed to show you what you should be thankful for, which takes us back to Thanksgiving. So It's a Wonderful Life talks about all the reasons you should be thankful and how your life is important and critical and how you are blessed. But sometimes you overlook your blessings and you really shouldn't. Yes. Um, So that's a really good movie. In fact, I may watch it this week. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I may put on uh, Home Alone this week. (laughs) My girlfriend jumps the gun too already. I came on last week and she was already watching Christmas with the Cranks. I'm like, really? It's oh still like goodness. a month. I mean, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. I'm already watching the Christmas movies, but I'm okay with that. Well, and you know they're going to start right out either around this week of Thanksgiving or shortly before Christmas. They'll start with the cartoon type movies like Frosty the Snowman yep. and um, Rudolph, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and then the Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yes. Yep. And uh, so I'm looking forward to I watch those two every year. So I definitely watched those all when I was a kid. I haven't seen them in years. Oh, uh, the, uh, the Grinch also, the original yes, cartoon. Yes, another, Dr. Seuss is the Grinch. Yeah. It's another good one. That's a really good one. All right, sorry to completely de- <laughs> take you away from Tenants and Landlords. That's okay, I know that's, that's the, fine. I enjoy talking, talking about, about movies. Today. Um, okay, so do you want, I mean, if we can either just dive into it, you and I, or um, we can answer a listener question, whatever. Um, well, l- l- how about if I talk a little bit of, and give some background on uh, Texas law in terms of landlord-tenant issues, and then if we get our listeners, we'll post to Facebook page and while you're there please like the page and uh, we'll take those questions and answer them and we can work these questions in as well from readers or people who are emailing in questions. Cool. Yeah, let's get the the long and short of it out of the way and we'll roll that into the break and then we'll come back with some listener questions. Okay, so basically a big part of landlord-tenant law is tenant rights. Um, and tenants often, I often get phone calls from tenants wondering and asking what their rights are, what are they supposed to do? What can they do? Um, And tenant rights are governed by Chapter 92 of the Texas Property Code, and of course by various court cases that have interpreted and applied to law to different fact situations that involve landlord-tenant issues. 
one of the most important things about um, your tenancy is, of course, your rental agreement. And most of the time, you're going to have a written rental agreement. It's usually a standard uh, Texas Rental Association or Texas Real Estate Association agreement um, that you will, that the, the apartment complex will give you um, to review and to sign. And that generally states all of the rights of the parties, the, what the tenant is obligated to do, what the landlord's obligated to do, and what each party's rights are. Um, generally speaking. So that's going to be your first point of reference. And when people call me for advice, I always tell them, before I can really advise you, I need to see your lease agreement. Because I need to yeah. see what it says. What have you agreed to with the landlord? Because that's the that contract, is a, once you both parties sign it, becomes a valid contract between the parties, and it's the law between the parties. Now, if there's any issue in the agreement that's not addressed that you're having problems with, and that's when you want to consult the law and see what the law says and look at any case law that might apply to your particular situation. But you always want to go to that rental agreement and look at it, and you should always read it carefully before you sign it, particularly the addendums that are attached to it. For example, sometimes you'll have a bed bug addendum, you'll have a pet addendum, um, you may have some type of... Um, advertisement addendum where you're either agreeing to participate and have your picture taken or you you want to opt out you don't want to be publicized right by for the, the apartment the, on the website or whatever sure so um, those are some of the addendums you'll come across and of course if you want to change anything in your lease the proper way to do that is to write it out and have both you and the landlord sign it and incorporate it as part of your lease. So you can write it either on one of the pages of the lease or you can you know, write it as a separate addendum and attach it to the lease. But you should not rely on oral agreements. And most of the time there's language in the rental agreements that say there's no oral agreements, this is the sole contract, and, and this is what governs the rights and duties of the parties. Right. And so you can't make any verbal agreements on the side. So that's really important to know. So if you and the apartment manager agree on something and it's not put into writing afterwards, you really don't have a valid agreement. You don't have something to enforce it. It would be extremely difficult to try to enforce that. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, I'm someone who's shamefully guilty of not reading my rental agreement at all. I mean, it's very long. It is Many, long. many pages. It and I, I never have had a pet or anything like that. But um, I've definitely had my picture taken. So I've probably ended up on a, the website or something <laughs> like that without even knowing it. Yeah. I think mine's just like 12 to 14 pages, maybe. It, it, they're really long, especially when you include the addendum. And for guys like me, people like you know who aren't experts, that that stuff is all—it's almost a foreign language. But you really need to take the time, you know, maybe one night when you can't sleep. <laughs> it probably would be good material to read to help you fall asleep. Yeah, um, I'll but... <laughs> just call you, and you can look over it. Look it over. Yes, <laughs> or you can call me. And I'm happy to review your lease agreement for you. Um, but you should read it so that you know what your responsibilities are and you know in case something happens what you have to do. So the general premise with renting property is that the tenant enjoys the right to quiet enjoyment. And that's the legal terminology, quiet enjoyment, 
uh, for when you are renting property from your landlord. Uh, you have the right to not be disturbed and you have the right to live in peace and quiet. And this is not just for you yourself, but it's for all of the tenants. So the landlord has a duty to see that you're protected from other tenants' wrongful behavior and from your peace and quiet being disturbed. And the landlord's duty extends also to the other tenants as well. So um, that's important to know. It's also important to know that the landlord uh, is not allowed to interrupt your utilities unless they have to do it to make repairs or uh, because of construction or because there's an emergency, something of that nature. For example, I had a water leak in my apartment at my uh, sink area and I called to report it. And, um, you know, they had to turn the water off to check and you know, see what was going on. But <clears throat> they're allowed to do it under those emergency circumstances if there's a risk of flooding inside the apartment or if there's water all over the floor, or something of that nature. Oh, yeah, something but, I forget about every year in my apartment. They say they do an annual inspection where they come in, you know, when yes. I'm at work and, and take a look around. And I always forget about that. And I'm like, I, I'm sure when I signed, I, I agreed to it, but yes. it's not something I ever noticed in there. And it's kind of weird. Yes, they do have a, they do have a, well, you have, again, you have to consult your lease to see what the terminology is, but most apartment complexes have some type of language in the lease agreement that says they're allowed to access your apartment um, for uh, inspection purposes, to show it if they are having to rent it because you're vacating, for emergencies, of course, um, so they have to have access uh, pest to control i know is one they do system. and changing the air filters i know because they yeah. always leave a little piece of paper that says that they were there and yeah and most of the time out of courtesy to the tenants they will give you a notice and say and say this week yes. or next week we will be going through all of the apartments to replace the air filters to check the smoke detectors to inspect for any type of mold or leaks water leaks or anything like that um, that's what happens at my apartment, and that's generally customary. They don't want to just, they want to respect your privacy and not just go into your apartment. Right. So they'll give you a notice letting you know that they're doing the rounds and you can expect them to be in your apartment at a certain time and place. Sometimes that language is included in the lease agreement that they will give you prior notice. It's, sometimes it may not be. You should look for that, and if it's not in there, you should ask that you get prior notice before they enter your apartment. Sure. Put so. a little flyer on the door or something. I mean, they're real good about <laughs> yeah. that in my place. They do they, always let us too. know. Me too. They, they tack a, a notice for all the tenants, for all the residents, saying that they're going to do that. So that's, that's a good thing. So we are about to go to break. We will be back shortly. Join us. Come back. Stay tuned for It's the Law with Kathy Rue. Providing you her will and testament for good radio. More It's the Law with Kathy Rue coming up next.
Broadcasting with the power of attorney. You're tuned in to It's the Law. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back. We are here in the studio. I'm here with Kevin Ebley. Hello, Kevin. hello. Hello. It's the Law with Kathy Rue. And we are talking today about landlord-tenant law. I just want to let everyone, all of my listeners know that I am licensed to practice in both Louisiana and Texas. I've been practicing law for over 20 years now. I have a solo practice set up in Grapevine, Texas. And oftentimes I like to refer to myself as the hardest working attorney in the DFW. I think you are. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that I way. I mean, you're... <laughs> <laughs> just because I do everything. I do so much... Um, with my cases and I'm a solo practitioner so I wear all different hats you're a one man band <laughs> I, literally I am a one man band and you do a radio show and so I do I mean. a radio show yeah so yeah you, you definitely are very busy very busy but not too busy to take calls from my clients and respond to emails which I do myself so if you want to reach me about a legal problem you're having please feel free to call me at 817-874-8877 and I'll be happy to talk to you about your legal problem and you can come in and set up a consultation and I'll review your documents and see if there's something I can do to help you. Well we do have one uh, listener submission via email. This is a subject that makes my skin crawl. No no <laughs> pun intended. Uh, David L. in Arlington says, I have an apartment and found bed bugs crawling on my mattress. There is a Texas Apartment Association TAA bed bug addendum signed which states that the landlord may change tenants for the cost of bed bug treatment, including cost to treat adjacent units, etc. Uh, his question is, is this enforceable and is it common in Texas for landlords to successfully stick tenants for the bill? for an issue like that. I mean, I, I'm not an expert, like, I, but I would say yes. Well, I, okay, I can't answer that last question. I'm, I, I'm not going to say, is it common in Texas for landlords to stick Because it just kind of varies. It varies, um, but um, the, the question, is it enforceable? To me, that's a more critical question. And I think you have to, again, look at your lease addendum and see what it says regarding bed bugs. Um, the key word here in his question is that the landlord may charge tenants for the cost of bed bug treatment. And I think that that is going to go in large part to, you know, how did the bed bugs get into the unit? Um, of course, this person, is David Ellis, saying he didn't have anything to do with bringing the bed bugs into the unit. He found them there right. you know, after being away from his apartment for a while. And so that goes more towards the sanitation, uh, the sanitary methods of the apartment. Are they keeping it clean? Are the inspections being done as they're supposed to be done? Um, and what is happening to adjacent apartments? And it would be good to know if there are bed bugs in adjacent apartments because generally that's where you get infestations from because these are critters that crawl from apartment to apartment. <laughs> so even if you are someone so, who's neat, tidy and clean, it's possible that this could happen to you. Yes, you could get bed bugs and you could get it because you're living so closely to people. Right. And that's one of the reasons they put these addendums in the lease agreement because they want everyone to keep their units um, as you know, as clean and sanitary as possible because you're living so close to people, it's easy to transmit um, bu bugs and who knows what else? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think the first thing, I think, you you know, in order to prove your case, you're going to have to dispute this with your landlord. So you're going to have to start by writing a letter to the landlord disputing 
what caused this disputing your liability for treatment and you want to make sure you send that letter to the landlord by certified mail return receipt. Even if you hand deliver a copy to the manager, you still want to send it through the mail so that you will have proof right. that you sent the letter. And there may very well be language in your lease agreement that requires you to send a letter through mail by certified mail return receipt requested in order to invoke and protect your rights under the lease agreement. Should you have it notarized or is that over? You don't need to have it notarized, but you need to write it up. It needs to be in writing. You need to state what your dispute is, you know, explain that you've been away from your apartment. You came back before you left. There were no bed bugs. You came back. Now there's bed bugs. Um, This is the first time you've had this experience. Um, And you may want to contact your neighbors and see if your neighbors are having a similar experience. And if they are, include that in your letter that, you know, it's not just your apartment. You've talked to several neighbors. They also have the same uh, problem with bed bugs. And put in there that you're requesting that the apartment treat the units and also that the apartment uh, is responsible for the cost and that you shouldn't incur the cost. That's your first step. Um, what happens after that is going to depend on how the apartment complex responds. Right. They may agree and say, hey, you know what, since it's not just your unit, it's several units, we will have pest control come out, uh, We and then we are requesting that you all follow certain procedures in terms of cleaning your bedding and your linens. Um, that type of thing and and that they will inspect before and after to make sure that procedures have been followed. Um, But they may also respond and say, no, no, you know, you are responsible for treatment and we will have someone come out and treat, but we're going to bill you or add it onto your account and you have to pay for that. And then that's where you're going to get into the, the dispute over the cost. And you certainly could go to small claims court and put on your case and have any witnesses that you are aware of testify on your behalf and let a judge decide or let the justice of the peace decide who should bear the cost. But you definitely want to read your addendum and see what it says about who should bear the cost. I think because it says, it uses a language may charge cost, Right. I think that you um, could possibly dispute it in court and try to get out of paying the cost for treatment, particularly under the circumstances you describe. Because if it says made charge, it's not definitive, you know. Right. I mean. it, it, doesn't def- it doesn't say shall, who shall be liable for the cost. But so. if it's best, I mean, if you can, it's always probably best to avoid staying out of court. I mean, that, that's where you have, I mean, it could be a bigger problem for you, it's just depending on... It could, and you know, landlords are not and not allowed to retaliate because you're complaining, particularly within a six month period. They can't they evict, can't evict you. you based yes. on that. Yes, so make sure that you're current on your rent when you're writing letters to your landlord that there's no outstanding balance due on your rent, so that they can't turn around and say, "Well, you know, we're going to evict you because you haven't paid your rent." That is a valid basis for them to evict you. Um, but in this particular case. If you know for certain that you're not the cause of the bed bugs, my suggestion would be to definitely dispute it. I would try to resolve it amicably with the apartment complex first, with the manager first, and try to work it out. But if you feel strongly about it, you may you may even be able to split the cost 
with the apartment complex. Which is still better than having to eat the whole bill. Exactly. But if you feel strongly about it and that you shouldn't have to absorb any of the cost, particularly under your circumstances, then if the apartment complex is not willing to pay the cost, that leaves you with either mediation or filing something in JP court. Well, I mean, this this kind of rolls into our next question here that relates to, because, I mean, bed bugs can be a, a health concern. Which it is, is a health and safety hazard, and that's important to bring up, that issue. Thank you for raising that topic. Oh, because no, that's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that is what you're here for. You do such a great job, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. You're easy to work with. <laughs> um, health and safety issues are huge in apartment complex living and landlord-tenant living, not just apartments, but you know, in standalones and duplexes and that type of thing, um, you have a right as a tenant to demand that the landlord repair any condition that materially affects your health and safety. And so that's the test. Does the condition that you're explaining of materially affect your health and safety? My perspective is that bed bugs do materially affect your health and your health, not your safety, but definitely your health. Yeah. Because, you know, that's where you sleep, and um, it, it's easy for that infestation to spread. So that's definitely a health issue. That's another reason why they have that addendum that is attached to most leases, especially a Texas Apartment Association lease. <clears throat> and so by renting the property to you, the landlord is guaranteeing that you will have a fit place to live. Now, th that's the general theory, but when you get to specifics such as bed bugs, locks, latches on windows, um, smoke detectors, uh, fire extinguishers, those type of things, that's where the lease will determine who's responsible for that and who pays for that. Generally speaking, the landlord has a duty to provide safety measures as well, and your safety measures are going to be security devices for your doors and your windows such as latches on the windows, dead bolts that are keyed on exterior doors, pin locks on sliding doors for patios, sliding door handles that latch, <clears throat> door viewers or um, what do they call them? Peep? Oh, yeah. People, I guess. Peepos. <laughs> um, and, of course, your... Uh, smoke detectors. Yes. Your smoke detectors. So the landlord's responsible under Texas law for ensuring that those type of devices are in place when you rent your apartment. Um, Even though so many people unplug them when they're cooking or something like that. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. You're never <laughs> supposed to disarm your smoke detectors. And I know firsthand <laughs> that they do go off, If depending on what you're cooking. Uh, if you're smoking the place up, they will go off. Um, but you're, you're legally not supposed to disarm them because that you want them working and you want them working all the time for to prevent, you know, hazards and, and, and fire hazards and right. the, not necessarily prevent them, but to notify you of fire hazards by detecting the smoke. I think I have one that's disconnected right now. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Because, <laughs> you know, when the battery runs low and it starts beeping. beeping. you yep. got to replace the battery. Well, the nice thing about living in an apartment complex is if you call them, they will send someone out to replace the battery and inspect it. So you don't have to do it yourself. That's, see, I did not know that. You see, just call your manager and say, would you please send, you know, maintenance out to replace the battery in my smoke detector? They'll tell you whether or not they'll do it. I mean, 
it's that, that is usually part of upkeep. Yeah. So um, I would certainly think so, especially when you know it concerns health and safety. Yes, and that's not something you can waive. You can't waive that provision that the landlord must provide the smoke detector. They have to do that, and you can't waive it in your lease. Unlike some responsibilities or duties, you can waive in your lease. That's not one that you can waive. But um, they, the landlord, is responsible to repair any condition that materially affects your health and safety. They have to guarantee you a fit place to live. Um, If they do not do this, there was a law passed recently in 2010 that says the tenant may go to the Justice of the Peace Court and obtain an order to repair. So if you are requesting a repair by the landlord and the landlord is refusing to do it, and you've made your request in writing, and you've sent your letter by certified mail return receipt requested, and the landlord is still refusing to do it, then your next option would be to go to the Justice of the Peace Court and get a re- what's called a repair order. And so that would help you in terms of enforcing your lease agreement and making your landlord repair right. whatever is broken that, you know, you're you're supposed to that's supposed to be working because you're you're living there and you're paying rent right something that shouldn't be an issue i mean that's some, i've never had a problem with that in all my years of living in an apartment anything that's ever broken there was very good about coming yeah, my, and making sure that it's too. my my apartment complexes too they're really good about coming out and and fixing things and little things um you might want to consider living somewhere else almost <laughs> if you have those kind of issues where you have to end up you know going yes. through these steps in order just to get something repaired yes that's definitely something to think about if you're going to have to continue to prod the landlord or the manager to do repairs and maintain the the facility then you definitely want to start looking for another place because it's not going to get any better yeah um um, the thing That's with the a repair, bad sign. <laughs> it is. The thing with the repair order to know is that your the amount of the cost cannot be more than ten thousand dollars to go to the Justice of the Peace and get a repair order. Okay. So we are about to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about eviction and hopefully we can get into security deposit issues as well. Stay tuned. It's the law with Kathy Rue. Providing you her will and testament for good radio. More It's the Law with Kathy Rue coming up next. her will and testament for good radio. More It's the Law with Kathy Rue coming up next.
you're tuned in to It's the Law. Everyone, we are back in the studio with, uh, I'm here, Kathy Rue, It's the Law, and I'm here with Kevin Evelyn. Hello, hello. And we're back in the studio, and we're going over landlord-tenant law issues, and uh, we've talked a little bit about repair issues, we've talked a little bit about health and safety issues. I just would like to continue in that vein before we move on to um, evictions and notice to vacate. But when we left, we were talking about how to dispute a repair issue with a landlord. And the thing about it is landlords are required to make repairs in order to protect your health, safety, or security. So if the issue materially affects your safety or security or your health, then the landlord, generally speaking, is required to repair that and pay for the cost. But again... The caveat there is please check your lease and see because in some leases there may be language that says you, the tenant, must make certain repairs. Right. And so if you agree to that, then you take on that responsibility and the landlord doesn't have to do it. And so that's why it's so important to read your lease before you sign it and you should read it every time you renew it to see if any language has changed and your responsibilities or duties have changed. But if you have a repair problem and you want to bring it to the landlord's attention, there are some options there. And Kevin, we touched on that a little bit when you said you may want to look for another apartment if the landlord's resisting making the repair. Yes. And so you could end the lease, potentially, that is one option that could result from the landlord's failure to make the repairs, ending the lease. You could have the problem repaired and deduct the cost of the repair from your rent, or you could, again, go to court, and you go to JP court and get a repair order to force the landlord to make the repairs. You have to follow certain steps in order to get to any of these end results or any of these solutions. And the steps you must follow is what we talked about earlier, sending a dated letter by certified mail return receipt requested to the landlord And make sure you keep a copy of the letter that you send to the landlord. Even if you hand deliver it, you still want to send it through the mail because you want proof that you sent it and yeah. you get that proof by getting That's that That's why that green return card. receipt is very important. Yes, yeah. when they sign it. Make sure your, your rent is current when you're making a repair request or uh, disputing a repair request with the landlord. And the landlord should make a diligent effort to repair the problem within a reasonable time. What's considered a reasonable time, generally seven days is considered a reasonable time, and that seven days is from the date that the landlord receives your written request for a repair. So if they don't make uh, the repair within that period of time, um, then you may be entitled to what we've talked about, terminate the lease, repair the problem and deduct the cost from the rent or get a court order to force them to make the repairs. Now, uh, our next question actually still kind of relates back to the the health and safety. Uh, This is from a listener, Jennifer in Denton. Um, Yeah, I used to have an apartment in Denton myself, so that's, uh, I I lived there for a long time. Love Denton. Went to school there. Great town. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) she says, my lease states that if the landlord fails to repair a condition that materially affects the physical health of safety and an ordinary tenant as required by this lease... 
um, or the property code. That being said, my client has a small child that has developed horrible allergies in the landlord's home because of their mold or cat dandruff. She cannot sleep upstairs, stand in areas of the home that seem to have issues. The tenant has asked the landlord to do several things to remedy the situation, and he has declined. The child's doctor said that they may they must move out of the home because it affects the child. Does this give the tenant grounds for termination of the lease if they have followed procedure as you outlined before? I think so. I would in, certainly in, think so. In my so. humble I mean, opinion, I think it definitely gives ground to terminate the lease um, because you have a, a small child who arguably is listed on the lease as an occupant and they have the same rights to um, have a safe environment, a healthy environment to live in. Uh, that the landlord should provide. So I think that you can invoke that. And of course, I'd have to review the lease to see what it says. But when you get into issues of mold, that is a significant safety hazard. And so if the landlord's not willing to do anything about it, I think that that could be a basis for ending the lease. Um, you definitely want to get out of the apartment, depending on how significant the mold is. Yeah, I mean, this could be an immediate concern. It could, it could. And, um, you know, you may want to uh, report it to the housing authority and let them know that you've detected mold. You would want to take pictures and document, you know, any witnesses you could uh, get a statement from them saying that they've seen the mold, and um, that's, that's just a huge issue, especially with a small child. And you have obviously have evidence that it's causing the child health issues because your doctor is telling you to remove the child from the premises. So it's definitely a health issue. The manager should be very proactive about if if not the cat dander, at least the mold. The cat dander is a sort of a iffy. It's a more manageable situation, I, I would think. think so I think there should be probably some steps that could be taken, like by the, the HEPA filters, or, yeah, or you know vacuuming, or you know combing the cat out regularly, or maybe you know just keeping them physically from being on the, in the same uh, part of the apartment or the the living space you just keep the cat out of places where the bedroom is or where the child is yeah there's some actual proactive steps so, you can take involving that situation but the mold i mean you could try yeah there's yeah. some steps you could try to see if it would help reduce her allergies or you know mitigate what's going on with her in terms of the cat dandruff or dander but in terms of the mold i think that's a much more significant health issue that the landlord is responsible for um, and that the landlord needs to be proactive about remedying. And so you could also get um, an inspector to come out and document that their mold has been detected and what they require in terms of eliminating the mold from the apartment. And that would help boost your case. Uh, that said, the question still becomes, do you want to continue living there if it's causing your child health issues? And my perspective is I would certainly not want to continue living there, particularly if I'm having a problem getting the landlord to yes, realize. Yes, that's not the kind of landlord <laughs> you want to have. Exactly. To realize that this is a, you know, a serious health issue. 
So I would definitely start looking for another place. But in the meantime, while you're there and you have to live there, um, try to work with the landlord, see if you can get repairs made. You may even be able to do the repair and deduct where you pay for any type of uh, mold elimination services and then deduct that from your rent until you can find another place to stay. If you're in, a, in an apartment complex, you can always ask the manager to transfer you to another apartment. Um, that may be an option. Or if you need to, depending on how bad your child's health issues are, if you need to move immediately, you may be able to get the landlord to pay the cost for um, you know, a motel or a hotel right. for you to stay until they can get someone in to come into the apartment and clean up uh, the mold issue. But I mean, a landlord, I mean, refusing to do anything, that's a... That's really that's a, a bad, bad sign. sign. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's that's not a good situation. And unfortunately, that does happen on occasion. But if you find yourself in that situation, you need to be extremely proactive. And some of the steps you can take is, you know, what we've talked about, looking for another apartment immediately, um, making the repairs and deducting any repairs from the rent or um, going to the Justice of the Peace Court and getting a repair order. That's where your pictures would come in handy. That's where your witnesses would come in handy. Um, and then, of course, if your child is having these issues with their health, you could also file a lawsuit for uh, personal injury and possibly recover damages from the landlord for any health issues that your child sustained. Um. I, I want to get into evictions next. I mean, before, but I have a couple of specific questions from listeners and a few of my own. But before we do, we are up against a break. Okay. We are going to break. Stay tuned. We are having some good conversation here and good questions coming in from listeners about landlord-tenant issues. It's The Law with Kathy Rue. you her will and testament for good radio. More It's The Law with Kathy Rue coming up next.
never too early to start planning. You're tuned in to It's the Law. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Law with Kathy Rue. We are in the studio. I'm here today with Kevin Ebling. Hey, Kevin. And we're having a really good show so far. We're talking about landlord-tenant issues. It's gone by really fast. Really fast. I didn't even realize until just now my microphone wasn't even on when I said hello. <laughs> Sorry about that. Is it on now? It's on now. <laughs> Testing, one, two, three. Yep. I am here, I promise. Okay. Well, we can see that you are here and happy to have you here. Um, we are going to talk a little bit more about landlord-tenant issues, and specifically, we want to talk about the eviction process. I do get quite a bit of calls um, with people telling me that they have received a notice to vacate for various reasons. Sometimes it's for non-payment of rent. Sometimes it's for another breach of the another reason that they've breached the lease. It could be. Um, lack of insurance that they're supposed to have. It could be disruption of the peace and enjoyment of other tenants. It could be um, failure to comply with the apartment complex's rules regarding parking, trash, um, patio uh, objects, those type of type of things. Um, and they will want to know what their rights are and what can they do. Um, do they have a defense? And my first piece of advice to them always is that they need to read their lease. I, it's very difficult for me to advise someone over the phone when they have a written lease. Right, because so, none of them are the same, I'm sure. There's most, intricacies you know, in every one. Oftentimes there's a form lease that most complexes or most landlords will use, but even with those form leases, there are variations, minor variations in, in the language of those leases. And so that's what I need to see. What has the tenant agreed to? What rights have they waived? And what obligations have they taken on? And once I see their lease agreement, then I can advise them better as to what they can do in terms of um, defending an, an eviction. But basically, in terms of the eviction, eviction process, the first step is a notice to vacate. And I have people say, well, do wasn't I supposed to get a notice to vacate? Yes, yes, you are. The landlord, if they want to evict you, is required to give you a written notice to vacate. It cannot be verbal. It has to be in writing. And the notice to vacate is simply a demand for possession of the property, and it sometimes it will state why they're demanding the property, and they'll state the reason that you've breached the lease. Sometimes it won't. They don't have to put a reason in there. They can just simply state that they want possession of the property, and they want you to move out. But in any event, they have to give that to you to start the eviction process. And so it has to be in writing. They have to give you at least three days notice to vacate. Sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes the lease agreement provides that they have to give you 30 days written notice. Again, that's why it's important to read your lease agreement to see what the landlord yeah, must comply with. Three days is not very much. <laughs> three days is not very much at all. I can't imagine having to pack up everything oh and God, move out nerves. in three days. <laughs> yeah. um, so most people can. It, and it's a very stressful situation. So, but they have to give you at least three days written notice unless the lease requires a different time period, which is usually going to be a longer time period. Um, and it must state that you have to vacate the premises by the date that's written in the notice to vacate. Now, how are you required to receive the notice to vacate? Well, there are several ways you can get it. The landlord can personally deliver it to you, the tenant or any person who's over 16 years of age who lives at the unit or lives on the premises. 
Another way it can be delivered is by certified registered or regular mail. A third way it can be delivered is by having it attached to the inside of your front door. Not to the outside, but to the inside of the front door. So if it's a written notice, like a letter, they can just tape it to the inside of your front door, and that's considered a valid notice. If they choose to leave it on the outside of your apartment, and they can do that, they can leave your notice on the outside, but they have to leave it in a sealed envelope. So they can't just leave an open letter attached attached to your front door saying, this is a notice to vacate. It has to be in a sealed envelope for privacy reasons, obviously. And it has to have capital letters on it that says the words important document. And they can only leave it on the outside of your door if there is no mailbox and the landlord is unable to enter your apartment complex because you have a security system in place, you have a dog that's there that they're concerned about their safety around or... um, Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. That could be, yeah, that's pretty pretty much covers any kind of <laughs> safety I mean, in that regard. Or if the landlord thought there would be harm to them it, for delivering it, you know, like if you have an angry tenant or you have someone who's right. volatile and you're concerned about your safety, if you were to approach them and leave that on the door, um, try to get inside the apartment and leave it on the inside of the door. And so to avoid that, you would want to leave it just. attach it or tape it to the outside of the door, then that's another reason why you could tape it to the outside of the door. But generally, the first three methods that I described, it's what's acceptable. And if you want to tape it to the outside, you have to show one of those situations, that there's an animal you're afraid of, that um, there's some type of security system in place that prevents you from entering, or that you're worried, you're concerned for your safety. Just an angry tenant. (laughs) Yes, an angry tenant or an angry occupant in your concern for your safety. So um, they have to give you that notice to vacate. They have to deliver it in the appropriate way. And once they deliver that, then you get into negotiations with the landlord about the reason they're trying to evict you, if you can get more time, if you can pay your rent, that type of thing. Okay. Well, we're, we only have about, we're almost out of time, I mean, okay. I, which I can't believe it's already been an hour. But before we go, we do have one last question okay. from um, a listener regarding eviction, um, which is to remain anonymous. We'll just call him John. Or Jane, I guess, if it's a female, it's not a gender-specific question. Uh, I was evicted about a month ago for non-payment of rent. I paid off the judgment in less than two months before it hit my credit report. I received a release of judgment from my apartment complex, indicating that I had met all of my obligation. My question is how to remove that eviction from public record so I can get a new place, or will it show up during a background check? Well, it probably will show up. If it's public record, you're not going to get it out of the public record because that's just the nature of public record. That's a done deal. Exactly. That's a done deal. You're not going to get it out of there unless, of course, it's a type of case, which eviction is not. But if it was a type of case that could be expunged, then you could remove it from the public record. And eviction doesn't fall into that category, so you're not going to get it out of the public records. Generally, the credit bureaus... Uh, canvas or uh, survey those public records to get this type of information and put it on your credit report. In order to know whether it's on there or not, you'd have to request your credit report from the credit bureau um, to see if it's on there or you could contact them directly and, and 
see, you know, if they've gotten that information and, and put it on there. Um, it's important to keep the release of judgment and also to keep the proof of your payment so that if this information does get reported to any prospective complex or landlord that you're trying to rent from, you have your other documentation to explain exactly what happened and to show that you did pay off the debt for the rent to show that you were released from the obligation. And that's going to go a long way to explain what happened as opposed to the potential landlord just getting information that you didn't pay your rent and you were evicted. Right. Because you actually did resolve the, the issue, even though you're moving out and you're looking for a new place to live. So I think it's important for you to keep that information. You can also write a letter. If, if you find that this information is being reported on your credit report, you can write a letter to each one of the major credit bureaus and you can attach the information, the release of the judgment or the, um, pay the proof of payment for the rent or both and explain that you've resolved the debt amicably with your landlord and that there isn't an issue anymore. And you did make the payment and they will reflect that when they issue your report to third parties, they will show that information as well. So your side of the story gets told and it balances out what actually happened. So it keeps that negative mark on your credit report from being quite as negative. Well, we only got to about half of our eviction stuff, and we're already <laughs> out of time. But before we go, I believe you wanted to give someone a shout-out. I did. I just This is Thanksgiving week. I'm so thankful, so, so thankful, so blessed for all the opportunities I have for the people that I have in my life who are supportive of me and my business and who support me personally as well. And there's just a particular person I wanted to shout out to. That person knows who they are, um, but they've been very instrumental in in every way. And just a huge thank you to that person. All right. So, well, I'm thankful happy to be Thanksgiving. your co-host. So. Yeah, I'm thankful <laughs> to have you here, Kevin. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Stay safe. Eat a lot of turkey. <laughs> Take a lot of naps. Watch some football. <laughs> have fun. Long as